begin in Daniel chapter 3. Daniel chapter 3. As we're turning there, just Thinking this morning about as we're worshiping God and everything that God desires, Jesus said that the Father desires for us to worship Him in spirit and truth. For of such does this does God, Father desire to worship Him. God desires us to worship Him, and we should worship Him. When we come together, we lift up His name in our hearts, we lift Him up in our hearts. And we exalt Him. And in our personal life, too. In our devotional life. The Bible says, Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. There is a, a theme, one of the themes of the Scriptures is to worship God. That what God desires people to worship, well, what kind of person is this? Who does He think He is? So He knows He is. He's God. He's the creator of the universe. He's creator of all. He's the, he's the creator of life. And he deserves to be worshipped and to be honored and to be lifted up. That's a little thought there. This morning I'm going to begin in uh, Daniel chapter 3, verses 14 to 30. This is where Nebuchadnezzar mandates that his whole kingdom, that everybody should, when there's this music plays, that everybody's supposed to bow down and, and in the city of Babylon, they're supposed to bow down and worship this image that Nebuchadnezzar um, built. Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the gold image which I have set up? Now if you are ready at the time you hear the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery, and symphony with all kinds of music, and you fall down and worship the image which I have made, good. But if you do not worship, you shall be cast immediately into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will, will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury, and the expression on his face changed toward Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He spoke and commanded that they heat the furnace seven times more than it was usually heated. And we, when, excuse me, and he commanded certain mighty men of valor, who were in his army, to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and cast them into the burning fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their coats, their trousers, their turbans, 
and their other garments and were cast into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king's command was urgent and the furnace exceedingly hot, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell, fell down bound into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished, and he rose in haste and spoke, saying to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. Look, he answered, I see four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Then Nebuchadnezzar went near the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spoke, saying, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came from the midst of the fire. And the satraps, administrators, governors, and king's counselors gathered together, and they saw these men on whose bodies the fire had no power. The hair of their head was not singed, nor were their garments affected, and the smell of fire was not on them. Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him. And they have frustrated the king's word and yielded their bodies that they should not serve nor worship any god except their own god. Therefore I make a decree that any people, nation, or language which speaks anything amiss against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces, and their houses shall be made an ash heap, because there is no other god who can deliver like this. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. <clears throat> you see that life can be like this many times over. The fiery furnace, what we call it the crucible. And here, these three men are tested. And they're tried by King Nebuchadnezzar. King Nebuchadnezzar was no small king of history. He was considered the first great king of ancient history. And the, king of, and the first great king of Babylon. And he was very powerful. And he, demand, he made an image and demanded everybody in his empire at the city of Babylon to bow down to this image. And... These three men refused to do it, and it was reported to him, and of course this whole thing transpired here. And he says, uh, King, Nebuch King Nebuchadnezzar says, we're going to throw you in the fire if you, don't, if you don't bow down to him. And he says, and what God is able to deliver you from that? You're not going to worship my God? Says, what God is going to do that? It's going to deliver you. And that's the question that comes up to us sometimes. Is God going to deliver us? You know, is He going to help us? Is He going to deliver us? And you see the mindset of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the answer to King Nebuchadnezzar. 
He says, Our God, verse 17, Our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. God is able. They had confidence that God was able. But he also, they also said, But even if he does it, We will not worship the golden image you set up. We will not serve your gods. Let it be known to you, O king. We're going to serve God. Whether he, he delivers us or we glorify his name in our death, like many Christian martyrs did and the apostles did. We are going to serve the Lord and we're not going to bow down. This courage in the midst of the fire. And of course... The fire was heated up, seven times hotter than usual. They're thrown in. They fell down in the middle of the fire. And then King Nebuchadnezzar sees it. He sees not three men, but four men. And they're walking in the fire, in this fiery furnace. The people that threw, the soldiers that threw him into the fire, threw them into the fire, the fire was so hot that it killed them, it says. Look, I see four men loose, walking in the middle of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the form of the fourth was like the Son of God. They took him out of the fire, they caught him out of the fire. The three of them came out, didn't smell like smoke, their hair wasn't singed, their clothes weren't burnt, nothing. No sign of the fire. It says, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who delivered his servants. And they yielded their bodies that they should not serve or worship any god except their own god. And then the king promoted them in the province of Babylon. They went through the fire. They came out the other end because they trusted God. And then they were blessed for it. So many sermons were made on this story. And today, as we look at it again and talk about it, there's a message to Christians today. Something that happened a couple thousand years, some three, four thousand, four thousand years ago, whatever it was. And it's a message to us as Christians today. As we go to 1 Peter chapter 5, we begin to see how this message connects with us today. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 5 to 7. <clears throat> Who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, that you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to, be, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. 
You see, it mentions the word fire here. In the King James Version, it says that, that the testing or the trying of your faith, <coughs> being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, shall be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That our faith would survive. That our faith would endure to the end. As Jesus said, he who endures to the end, the same shall be saved. And there's no going around that. Our faith will be tested. The testing of our faith. Our faith, each one of us, our faith will be tested. In Jesus' parable of the sower and the soil, and he talked about the seed being the word of God, and the different soils being the different hearts of men. He says that there's some where the seed would land on stony ground where they would believe for a time. He said they believe for a time, but in a time of, and there's the word testing, they don't continue. They don't continue in the Lord. And that's the way it was. You see, when Peter was tested, how he failed. You see the disciples, when they were tested, they abandoned Jesus in his hour of trial. But later on, they were ready for the test. Down the road, when they were ready and they were prepared, when God had prepared them, then they came through there's gold through the fire. And that's the name of this today. Gold through the fire. Our faith will be tested like gold is tested. In the old days, they used to take gold and they used to heat it up in the fire. So it got hot. That's what a crucible is. It's like this, um, this bowl that's made out of, a, of metal of steel, or of iron, whatever it is, and they put gold in it, it's got a much lower melting point, or silver, in this case gold, and they melt it down. They melt it until it gets so hot that it melts. And then the refiner, he takes a tool that skims off the impurities that float onto the top. And they say the refiner is done when he sees his own image in the in the melted gold. All the, all the impurities are removed. And he sees his image clearly. In that melted gold. In the hot fire. And then when it's all clean. And purified. It's taken out of the fire. It's ready. It's been tested. It's been tried. It's been purified. What does God use... What do we read that God uses to test our faith? It says, You have been grieved by various trials that the testing of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tried by fire, shall be found to the praise, glory, and honor 
and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Trouble. Trials. That's what it says right here. Come to test our faith. That's the fire. That's the refiner's fire. Life and all of its problems and all of its challenges and temptations. These are the things that test our faith. Whether it's true and real and will persevere or not. Very similarly to as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were in the fiery furnace. We see the similar language that Peter uses to what happened to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Thrown in the fire. And someone was with them in the fire. And Nebuchadnezzar accurately says who it is. It's the Son of God. Jesus says, I will never leave you or forsake you. I will be with you to the end. When he gave Joshua his commission, he says, Be strong and courageous. I will be with you. When Moses was afraid to go before Pharaoh, king of Egypt, in his calling at the, at the burning bush, God said, I'll be with you. When Gideon was called to lead the Israelites against Midian, and Gideon saw his own personal weakness, he said, go. He says, because I will be with you. When Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were about to be thrown in the fire if they didn't do what they were told, said, Our God is able to deliver us. God will be with us. And He was with them. And so we, in our calling to follow Jesus, and as we walk in the faith of Jesus, that faith is going to be tested. But we don't need to, we don't have to be intimidated. We don't have to back away. We don't have to shrink back. Because Jesus is with us. He said he would never leave us or forsake us. Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He will be with us in our fiery trials that have come to test us. God has purpose in these things. Well, I don't see those purposes. It doesn't matter. God said that there's a purpose in it all. He says there's a reason for it and a testing. That when we come out on the other side of the fire, that we'll honor God and we'll have, still have that faith will endure. And we'll be stronger for it. We'll be better for it. And we'll be who He wants us to be. Not who we want to be, but who He wants us to be. And that is the message in all this. He has a purpose and a plan for us that our life will be found through the praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus. He wants to change us and conform us into the likeness of His Son in the way we live, in who we are, and what's in our heart and our mindset. He wants to change us. And He will change us if we trust Him in the fire. Paul talked about people 
whose faith suffered shipwreck. In the fire. The just shall live by faith. But if any man draw back, my soul shall have no delight in him. First Peter chapter four. Verses twelve to sixteen. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, Christ, blessed are you, for the spirit of the glory of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part he is blasphemed, but on your part he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. He's speaking to the brethren. He says, don't think it's strange what you're going through. Now, if you're suffering for being an evildoer, a busybody, you know, and uh, in other people's matters, a thief, a murderer, and those things, he's, God's discipline is going to be, you're going to be suffering because you're doing what's wrong. But you can also suffer for doing what's right. And whatever it is, he says, don't think it's strange. Some of the sufferings may be God's discipline. Some of it is just about the testing of our faith. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they didn't get thrown in the fire for doing something wrong. They got thrown in the fire for doing something right. They did what was right. And they were thrown in the fire for it. Fire trials come upon us not just for doing what's wrong, but for doing what's right. If we get if we're if we're being if we're going through trials and discipline for doing what's wrong, we have to humble ourselves and accept that. But if we get trials for doing what's right, don't think it's strange. That's what he's saying right here. Because sometimes we think it's strange. What am I doing wrong? I'm trying to follow the Lord. I'm trying to do what's right. And, you know, and all these trials I'm going through, all these problems I'm having, you know, we can sometimes be deceived into thinking if we're doing what's right, that everything's supposed to go like a smooth, smooth as glass highway. A straight and narrow road should be smooth as glass. No, there are times when it's a bumpy road. It's a rough road. It's a difficult road. It's a narrow road. But don't think it's strange as we go through it. That's what it's saying here. It says, 
Don't think it's strange concerning the fiery trials. There's that fiery word again. Going through the fire, he, he mentions them, the trials being fiery. The testing of our faith, fiery trial. Here's that fire that's testing whether we're going to trust God or not. The Israelites failed. Is God with us or not? Uh, excuse me, uh, there were just ten plagues that God put upon the Egyptians, the most powerful people in the world, the most powerful king in the world, and just destroyed the land, the, 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 his kingdom, and let you out with all their gold and all their jewels and everything, and let you out of there to be free, and now you're wondering if God is with you or not. the evidence of a hardened heart where we don't see we don't see God for who he really is we don't see his loving concern and commitment towards us we perceive God strangely then verse 19 therefore let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator, the faithfulness of God, believing in his faithfulness. Sometimes we don't see it. We have to remind ourselves. We have to look around us and count our blessings. Like, this, like the hymn says, count your blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what God has done for you and me. All the good times. All the good things he's done. He's put food on our table. He's delivered us and our children from many things and from sickness and from terrible things. And he's protected us. You see some of the horrible things that have happened to people that have not happened to us. Even though we have had some rough days and some bad things happen to us. Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to Him, doing good as to a faithful Creator. This is a step of faith in the time of crisis. This is the time where we have to walk on the water and to look to Jesus as we walk on the water and not be focused on the negativity of trials, but in the positive nature of Jesus being with us in the fire. That he's with us. He hasn't forsaken us. The God of the universe is with us. And he's walking right alongside of us. Just like he was with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That story isn't written like that in there. And that didn't happen like that for no reason at all. That wasn't just coincidence. It's a message for the ages. Even in 2023. God hasn't changed. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. God is not changing. There is no shadow of turning in him, it says. In chapter 5, in verse 10, it talks about after, uh, it talks about, in verse 10, May the God of all grace, <clears throat> who called us to his eternal glory by Jesus Christ, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. Maturity of a Christian. 
after you've suffered for a while. The connection with problems, trials, and suffering with the work of God in our life to make us who He wants us to be. Who does He want us to be? He wants us to be mature. He wants us to be established. He wants us to be strengthened and settled. Settled. Not unstable. Not shaky. No shaky foundation. No 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 setbacks of immaturity and foolishness like we can be prone to in the flesh. Not a, on riding on a roller coaster. One day I'm up, yeah, praise the Lord, hallelujah. Next day, oh, where am I at? You know, like, this is too much for me and I'm overwhelmed and this is bad and I hate this life and I hate what I'm doing. I hate all these things around me. You know how it is. You know how we feel sometimes. We're up and down, like, as they call it, roller coaster Christianity. We're up and we're down, and we're up and we're down, and we're riding that roller coaster. We need to get off of that. Say, so how do we stay in that upward place? <clears throat> After you suffer for a while, you will mature us. Establish us, strengthen, and settle us. But when we turn the corner is when we begin to look at our problems the way God's looking at them. He's telling us something about the problems in our life. And the light has to go on. The eyes of our understanding have to be opened up. There's a reason for all this. And what is the reason? We just read it. To mature us, to settle us, to make us strong as a Christian. To be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. That's how Paul puts it. Having all the armor of God on, be strong in him. After you have suffered for a while, necessary. We read in First Peter where he says, Chapter 1, where he said, if necessary, you're going through various trials. If you need it. I don't need that. No. We don't make that decision. God is our Father. Jesus is our Lord. He makes the decision. And so when he decides, when we look at it, remember this thing. He made this decision to let this come into your life. Don't reject it. Don't fight it. Don't get angry. Embrace it. Embrace it. And then we can understand what we read next in James chapter 1. In verse 2. Verses 2 to 4. James 1. 2 to 4. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Mm -hmm. 
So the word perfect can also be translated mature. It's, it's translated differently in different versions. But that you may be complete and mature and lacking nothing. We just read that the last verse that we read was about maturity and perfection and about uh, completion. A completed work. How does God do that? It's not magic. God's wisdom is far above magic. He lets life happen in a certain way. He allows certain things in and certain things not in. To bring about His will in our life. Some people reject that. As Jesus said, we, we talked about earlier. In a time of testing and persecution because of the word. In times of temptation. They don't continue. They only endure for a time. All Jesus' disciples forsook him. They weren't ready. But later on, they were ready. They, God opened their understanding. And they were ready. They were ready to endure unto the end. And they did. When we look at it the way God does, we can count it all joy. We can rejoice in our problems. We're not going to say, oh, isn't this great? My car broke down. No, it's not that kind of rejoicing. It's the kind of rejoicing that looks at it the way God does. Here is a problem. I'm with you. Trust me. You don't know how you're going to pay all your bills. I'm with you. Trust me. Having problems in my family, having problems here and there, problems on the job, problems, problems, problems. Trust me. Because I am with you. You're not alone. You're not an orphan. God says, I am your father. The son Jesus gave his life for us. What a commitment is that? He laid down his life for us. That we might have eternal life. That we might endure. And they might be able to handle life. A lot of people can't handle life. It's just the way it is. Life overwhelms them. And takes them in dark places. But Jesus says, I have come to give you life. And that more abundantly. He who follows me will not be in darkness. You won't end up in that dark place. Sometimes we as Christians feel that darkness pressing upon us. Because the, the dark clouds of problems and trials just coming right at us. Of every kind. Causes all kinds of issues in our life if we don't trust them. But the whole point of the matter is, God is trying to grow us up. Abraham... Man of faith, father of faith, 
But God told him he was going to have a son from Sarah, his wife. He was, a, he was, he was 75 years old. His wife was fast childbearing. When he was 100, when he was 99, God, God came and visited him. And he told him, you're, you're, Sarah's going to have that son. He laughed. When his wife Sarah heard it, she laughed. So what kind of man of faith is this? They're laughing at the promise of God. The following year it happened. No more laughing. Abraham had to grow into the shoes and become the man of faith. He wasn't automatically the man of faith. He became the man of faith. Through, through the, and you see his faith grow over the course of time. His faith was tested. And after 25 years of a promise, he finally got his son. He learned something from it. The second Corinthians chapter one. And we have a few more. And while you're turning there, I forgot to read one verse in James as you're turning to Second Corinthians chapter one. Blessed is the man who endures temptation. When he has been approved or tested, he'll receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. The enduring of trials and being tested. Blessed is a man who endures this testing. For when he is tested, it says, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Faith working by love. Love of God. Love for one another. We'll talk about that much deeper another day. 2 Corinthians 1, verses 8 and 9. This is Paul speaking here. Verse 10 to Verses 8 to 10, I'm sorry. For we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened beyond measure, above strength, so that we despaired even of life. Yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a death, and does deliver us, in whom we trust that he will still deliver us. The message of faith Is about this. We are burdened beyond measure. You have problems, you have problems too. Burdened beyond measure. Beyond our strength, we thought we were going to die. That's how bad it was. We had some real problems. And he says why it happened. 
We add the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves but in God. He raises that. That we would stop leaning on our own understanding. That we would stop using our own logic. That we would stop using our own human wisdom. But instead, above everything else, we would look to the Word of God and everything that He's promised. And we would put our trust and our faith in that above everything else. Above everything else. That's why it happened to us. That's why things are happening to us. And Paul is telling, him, telling us, this is the reason why God allowed all this to happen to us. That we would grow in faith. That we'd stop being self-sufficient. That we'd stop walking in pride. That we'd humble ourselves and embrace the Word of God. And stop leaning on our own understanding. This is why it happened to us. This happened to us because. Look at the way it's worded. And then he sums it up by saying, He delivered us. And he's still delivering us. And we trust in the future. He will deliver us in the future. Until our time comes. And it said that he was executed by one of the Roman Caesars, eventually. In one of Paul's letters, he wrote that the time of my departure is near. He was sentenced to death by one of the Roman Caesars. I have run the race. I have fought the good fight of faith. Now it's time. God showed him. God showed Peter that he would be crucified. He told him that at the end of the Gospel of John. He'll stretch your hands out and take you where you don't want to go. Says he said this to signify what kind of death he was gonna he was gonna glorify God by. Peter was delivered from King Herod. The Apostle Paul was delivered from the sentence of death here. Paul was stoned. There's many things that happened to him. God delivered him until the time had come. But there is deliverance until God says. Until our appointment to be with Him. So we can just stop worrying. Stop living in fear like we were talking about last week. That which I greatly feared has come upon me. Just walk on the water with Jesus. How can we do that? Believe His Word. I am with you all, all always, even to the end of the age. Put our faith in the power of God. It says, we read earlier, we're kept by, by the power of God through faith. We are preserved that way. Our faith is preserved as we walk with Him. And the last one is in the book of Daniel, back to the book of Daniel. Chapter 12. Verses 1 to 4. Verse 
verses 9 and 10. At that time, Michael shall stand up, the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble, such as never was since there was a nation, even to that time. And at that time, your people shall be delivered, everyone who is found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, shut up in the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. Verse 9. 9 and 10. And he said, Go your way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed till the time of the end. Many shall be purified, made white, and refined. But the wicked shall do wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand, but the wise shall understand. A couple things in this reading that we want to look at. In verse 3 it says, Those who are wise at the time of the end shall shine like the brightness of a firmament. Where does that light come from? Where does that shine come from? It's that gold tested in the fire. And those who turn many to righteousness shall shine like the stars forever and ever. And at the time of the end it says, Many shall be purified, made white and refined. There's that refining process again talked about. The time of the end. And it says, And at that time your people shall be delivered. Everyone who's found written in the book. There is deliverance. Yep, there's deliverance. We'll be purified, tested, refined in the fire. The gold that shines, that's tested in the fire. It will reflect the image of Jesus. And that's what will cause them to shine. The light will shine out. Let your light so shine before men. That they see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. The light shines. As we walk with him as he purifies us. And how is he purifying us? How is he refining us? Yeah. As we've talked about many times before. It's all those burdens and trials and temptations and all that stuff that we do not like. The problem, life happens. Life is full problems. Doesn't matter who you are, whether you're an apostle, just Joe average like me. Somebody, anybody. Messages to all. Rejoice. God's purposes are real. When we look at the way God does, we can rejoice. We can embrace and not fight and kick against our problems. We can embrace them because we believe that God has a plan.
as plain as real. His will has purpose in each of our lives. He has plans for us for good and not for evil. Let's embrace it, no matter what it looks like. Begin to see it the way God sees it. That's what I have today, brothers. We'll leave it for... Exodus chapter 5 and verse 1. <clears throat> and afterwards, Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. And Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, nor will I let Israel go. And so we have a confession from Pharaoh saying, I don't know the Lord, I don't know this God. At least he was honest about it. And it was true, he didn't know God. And the name of this message is that I may know him. Um, I remember in the 1990s, there was an event happened sometime, I think it was in the 1990s, where many people flocked to Toronto, Canada. And there was this happening that happened that they referred to later on as the Toronto Blessing, where there was some manifestation of God, so they say. I don't know if it's true or not. I wasn't there. And <clears throat> I just know that people traveled from all over the United States and Canada and from all over the world to, <clears throat> to see what was going on there. And I'm not criticizing anybody or judging anybody in all of this because I don't really know anything about it. And recently, uh, I received a text about a happening that was going on in Kentucky at a college called Asbury College. And uh, so I looked, I went on the link and read some of the website and everything, and there was this, in this, I guess it was a Christian college, there was uh, this gathering and Supposedly, the presence of God was manifesting itself there in some way. And there was some guy that was there from uh, this uh, happening there in 1970, which supposedly fueled the Jesus movement of that generation. I don't know the answer to any of that. But this guy was out pastor, and he went, and they asked him what he thought of it, and he says, well, God's presence really is showing itself here. And maybe it is, I don't know, you know. But there's a lot of people that are gathering to Kentucky. They said there's long lines there now. And people are traveling there from all over the country. See what's going on down there. 
And I heard on the, one of the Christian radio stations, music station, they were talking about, they were talking about it, and and uh, they were they were organizing trips down there and everything. And again, there's no criticism in all that. But one of the things that I think about is this, and Justin and I were talking about this a little bit yesterday, and kind of fueled this whole thing, is that, you know, God isn't just there. If he's there, he's here too. God's presence is everywhere. David wrote in one of his Psalms, where can I go to hide from the presence of God? Because if I go and sit down in the very bottom of the sea, because I can't hide from the presence of God. Because God's, what they call, the theologians call omnipresent. That means He's everywhere. And not only is He everywhere, um, and in every place, but He reveals Himself. Uh, Pharaoh says, I don't know God. That's what he told Moses and Aaron. I don't, know, I don't know this God. Now people say they know God in, in many places and many things, but I mean, Pharaoh worshipped his gods. He said, I don't know this God you're talking about. Eventually, of course, God leads through Moses, he leads his the Israelites out of his out of Egypt, and God said about His people that He led out of Egypt. He says, "They don't know Me, and they don't know My ways. They have not known Me. And they have not known My ways." He says they go astray in their hearts, and they don't know My ways. The prophet Jeremiah, God spoke through the prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 4 and says, My people are foolish and they have not known me. So how can you be God's people and not know God? In Jeremiah 24 it says, Then I will give them a heart to know me, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God. And they shall return to me with their whole heart. God shall give, a, give them a heart to know him. And they shall be my people, and I will be their God. We are told in the Bible to trust God, to walk by faith, to trust His Word. But the question is, how can you, tr- how can you truly, and, and people feel apprehensive about this, but the question really comes down to this. How do you trust someone you don't know? How do you walk by faith in someone you don't know. If you just hear things about God, and even believe things about God, 
But how do you really trust someone that you don't know? I know things about Abraham Lincoln and George Washington, but I don't trust them. I don't know. I never knew them. There's a lot of things I know about a lot of people. That doesn't mean I trust them. You don't just trust people because you know things about them. It's more than that. You trust somebody when you get to know them and you feel that you can trust them. You begin to see their integrity, whether they're worthy to be trusted or not. You see, you can't trust somebody that you don't know. Now, I remember when my grandkids were born, each of my grandchildren, and even my children, but especially my grandchildren, when they were first born, they were little babies, and they started growing up, that they were kind of scared of me. You know? Maybe the beard and the gray hair, I don't know. Whatever it is, I guess it's pretty scary to them. But as they got a little older and they got to know me, they got to know that they didn't have to be scared of me. <clears throat> uh, Leah sent Kate a text this morning, and Sully, who's about a year and a half, her daughter, said, uh, when they were in the car, said, I want to go see Papa. She wanted to see me. Now, I can tell you, when she was younger, she was scared of me. But over the course of time, as she got to know me, he trusted me more, and we developed a relationship with each other. Yeah, I want to see Papa. And it's different then, isn't it? Yeah. Now, we can look together today, we look around the room, there's not a lot of people here, and we could be feel discouraged about that. But Jesus said, where two or three are gathered together in his name, he's there in the midst of us. He's here today, present today in a way that's special when we're gathered together. So here's the people of God, the Israelites, who see all of his work as miracles. They see the ten plagues in Egypt. They see his miracles, the manna coming from heaven, the water coming out of the rock, all the miracles that God did through Moses. They know a lot of things about God. But they didn't know God. We can read all these things in the Bible. We can hear all the preaching about it. And we can hear all these things. But we can be just like that. Not know God. Know about Him is not knowing Him. They are two different things. And that's what we're talking about today. God will give us a heart to know Him. If we let Him. And when he gives us that heart, he tells us to walk in it. Walk in the Spirit. From there we go to Jeremiah chapter 9.
Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23. Thus says the Lord, let the man, wise man, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom or boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might or strength. Nor let the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts boast in this that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord, exercising loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, says the Lord. We can know God, not just know about Him. And he says, and that's where the real jackpot in life is not in riches not in bodily strength not in human wisdom how smart we are and how educated we are he said this is the real target to know him to know god and we can know god not just know about him we can have a personal relationship and a walk with him not just about him but with him That he understands and knows me. God has helped some of us to understand and know a lot of things about him. To understand him and also to know him. And Jesus said on the day of judgment, there's going to be people who said, Lord, didn't we do a lot of wonderful works in your name? And he said, depart from me, I never knew you. God is calling us into a relationship with Him. Not just a do this and do that. Not just a master-slave. This is not a master-slave relationship. This is a father-son relationship, a father-daughter relationship. A father and son relationship is a relationship where we know each other. But how can you have a relationship with someone you don't know, you don't spend time with, you don't understand? But God is calling us into that relationship. And Jesus prayed to the Father for us who would believe in Him. He says, and this is eternal life. Jesus speaking to the Father saying, and this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Eternal life. We can begin to experience eternal life now, on the inside, to know Him, to know the Father and the Son, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, a relationship with Him. Draw close to God, and God will draw close to you. You shall seek me and you shall find me if you seek for me with all of your heart. There is a relationship that we can experience with the living God. And we may have experienced that at times, but it seems like sometimes we're in and out and up and down. Sometimes we feel that 
we, we, we are having that closeness and that fellowship with God. And we are knowing Him and we are walking with Him and, and, and having this close fellowship and relationship with Him. Other times, He seems like He's on the other end of the universe. And we're talking to Him through a walkie-talkie somewhere far away, you know. But that doesn't mean because God went away. And sometimes he's here and sometimes he isn't. Like, well, he's God is really present here, so we gotta all get in our car or fly in a jet to go to that place where God is. Doesn't have to be that way. Now I'm not criticizing people who do that. But I'm just saying we don't have to get in a jet or a car or someplace or start running to to find God somewhere. He's not just the God of the, of the hit valleys. He's the God of the mountains, too. He's the God of the city. He's the God of the, of, of the, of the rural areas. He's the God ever, present everywhere. But, you say, well, I don't sense his presence. Maybe I can go somewhere where I can sense his presence. What's the problem? If I'm not sensing his presence, if I'm not getting c- close to him in his presence... What's wrong when I'm not sensing God? What's the matter? In Philippians chapter 3, Philippians 3, beginning in verse 3, for we are the circumcision who worship God in the spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. Verse 7, But with things were gained to me, I have counted as loss for Christ. Yet I count all things as loss, or King James Version says, as dung, for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. For I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as dung that I may gain Christ, and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is in faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him, and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death. This is where the rubber meets the road here, and this is where the problem is. The problem is having confidence in the flesh. To be accepted by God, by our good works, yes. And also being confident in our own wisdom. And boasting in our own accomplishments. And boasting in our wisdom. Being full of pride and the flesh. These are the things that interfere. The flesh is what interferes with our relationship with God. 
and sensing his presence and his realness and him being here with us and in us. This is the next thing. We'll go to that next. Not only is he with us, but we'll talk go further than that. Sometimes we don't sense the presence of God because we're wrapped up in the things of this life. And we're just driven. And we're in that merry-go-round of life. Jesus said the cares of this life choke out the word. The desires for many things in this life. Being driven by the desires of this life. And the cares of this life. And the anxieties of this life. And the fears of this life being driven by them to the point where the Word of God is choked and it bears no fruit. And we don't sense God. God, where are you? We're, we're, we're feeling around like a, a guy that's blind, you know, trying to feel our way around. We don't sense the presence of God when we're not walking in the love of God or resisting His way. It becomes difficult. In Gospel of John, chapter 10, Jesus talks about himself being the Good Shepherd. In verse 14, John 10, 14. I am the good shepherd. And I know my sheep and am known by my own. Not only does he know his sheep, but his sheep know him. They know him. They don't just know about him. They know him. They have a relationship with him. The sheep of God know God. They know Christ. They hear His voice, it says. In the middle of verse 16, it says, and they will hear My voice. And there will be one flock and one shepherd. Verse 4, and when He brings out His own sheep, He goes before them, and the sheep follow Him, for they know His voice. They recognize the voice of God. They hear in the scriptures and the words of Jesus, they recognize them to be the words of God. There's a connection. That's from God. What Jesus is saying, he's God. And the things he is saying is from God. Jesus said, I didn't come and speak on my own. He said, the words that the Father gave me, these are the words I speak. He said, if you know the Father, he says, you will, rec- you will know me also, and you'll recognize these words are from God. And this is a great thing to understand and to know. And this is where our boast is. He that glories, he that boasts, let him boast in the Lord. This is where the true pot of gold is in life, so to speak. The true treasure of life, is in knowing Him. 
Let him that boasts boast in this, that he knows me. That's what God says. Boast in that. I know God. And God's greatness. I know him. I know what he's about. He's revealed himself. That's where the real glorying comes. The real boasting is. Boasting and pride in God. That I know him. My sheep hear my voice and they know me. So we were in Philippians 3 and he says this at the end of Philippians 3 as we go back there. He says, brothers, in verse 17, join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have of us for a pattern. For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. And this is the problem. When we set our mind on earthly things, it leads us astray. When we are are overwhelmed by the cares of this life, it become a blinder. The carnal mind is at enmity with God, the natural mind. The spirit and the flesh are at enmity with one another. To be spiritually minded is life and peace. Let's see if I have anything else here. From there, we go to Romans chapter 8. Couple verses in Romans eight. Romans verses chapter uh, chapter eight and beginning in verse eight. So then, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he's not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. It says the same thing over and over again. There's four verses I just read. It talks about Christ living in us. God living in us. The Holy Spirit living in us. An inner presence of God. Being the temple of God means that God lives in us. We are told that we are the temple of God. God lives in us. His presence is in us. His Spirit is in us if we are in Christ, through faith in Christ. When we believe this message, 
it changes our life. <clears throat> if we believe it in our hearts, not just in our heads. We may believe certain facts and figures about the Bible, but it's another thing to believe this message in our hearts, to take it and embrace it in our hearts. It is life-changing. And not only is it life-changing, it's life-changing because He comes and His presence comes and live, and, and He comes to live in us. His Spirit comes to live in us. And He's present. And to me, this should give the Christian great hope. Christ lives in me. He's present not only in the world, not only is He present in the universe, He's present around us. He makes manifestations of Himself in different ways. Not only is He with us if we are in Christ, His Spirit is in us. He is present within us. And we may say, well, I don't feel that. I'm not really seeing that in the way I'm living. I don't sense that. And that is part of the roller coaster that we can be on. I've heard preachers call it roller coaster Christianity. We're up and down, we're on spiritual highs, and then we're in these valleys and we're, we, we can't find God, we don't sense God, and where is God and everything else? Well, <clears throat> recognize the deception involved that the enemy would like to, to believe that God is far away. But not only is he right here, but if we are a Christian, if we are converted in our hearts, if we believe this message, if we walk in it, we will discover that he lives in us and he is present in us. Many don't see that note and don't experience that. So why am I experiencing that? Well, do you believe it or don't you? Is the first thing. And if we do believe it, if we draw close to God, if we seek Him with all of our heart, and if we truly have been converted, we will discover, yeah, He's there. And not only is He there, but He, he wants to work in our life and to lift us up to a higher plane than we found. <clears throat> In Colossians, Paul talks about the mystery that was hidden from ages past, which is Christ in us, the hope of glory. Christ who's in us who's in Christ. Jesus said, I'm not going to leave you like orphans. I'm going to come to you. When he goes away, he would send, send, some, send himself in a way that he'd be present with us. We're not alone. If we're feeling lonely, we're unaware of His presence. If we're feeling all alone, if we're feeling far away from God, it's not because He's not present. It's because we're not in a place to connect. We've 
We don't have, we either don't have a relationship with him or we faded away from our relationship with him. We backslidden in our walk with him, in our relationship with him. Backslidden in our hearts. Backslidden in our relationship and our walk with him. In our, in our communicating with him. But he's there. Be encouraged, he's there. So draw close to him. In whatever way we need to draw close to him. Because how can we walk by faith in a God we're not recognizing who's with us? We're not recognizing is real. We don't, can't, we don't know. How can we trust a God we don't know? So we have to walk with him to know his voice and to have a relationship with him, come into a relationship with him and, and, to, and, to, and to walk with him and we can know him. But is that what we want? Do we want to know him? Because he's putting that offer out to us to know him. And to know him more. And to grow in that knowing him. To grow in a relationship with him. And to draw closer and closer over the course of time. Because I've talked about people in marriages who were really close to each other when they first got married. But over the course of time, they say the flame went out. They drifted apart. And that's how our walk with God can be. When first we're converted, we can be hot and on fire and everything else, and all of a sudden, you know, it begins to, you know, the tire gets deflated, so to speak. The fire begins to go out. Well, the message is clear. Come back. God hasn't drifted from us. We've drifted from Him. There was an old saying that they used to say in the church. If you don't feel close to God, who moved? Did that God moved? Or did we move? And it's us who's moved. We've, moved, we've drifted away. Justin, we were talking about this yesterday. Why don't you comment on this first? Um, 